Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, psychedelics, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Anne Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Anne and Nick talk to Eric Offenberger, CEO of Vexed Science. Eric joins us this week to discuss his company's operations and growth since his last time on the Green Rush in February 2023, specifically the Arizona cannabis market and how Vexed is navigating the unique challenges and leading the local market in retail traffic and sales. In this episode, Eric also shares insights about Ohio's road to adult use legalization, Vext's plan for growth in the state, and what he predicts for the local market over the next year. If you're interested in learning more about Eric and Vext Science, visit the links in our show notes. Also, be sure to follow Vext Science and Eric on LinkedIn to stay up to date on the company's latest milestones. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Eric Offenberger, CEO of Vexed Science. Welcome back to the podcast, Eric. It is so good to reconnect and we met each other in person at MJ BizCon a couple months ago. So um, it was so great to, to share a drink and actually get like, face-to-face human contact. Um, yeah, so very nice. Yeah, it was wonderful. And, you know, we, we, we talked about what's going on at, at Vexed and, and, you know, what's going on in the broader world, but to remind our listeners, um, can you give us an update on, on what's new with you guys since you were last on in February? Well, since we were on last, we've actually gotten a hundred percent of the Ohio transaction completed. So now we are completely vertical we're still waiting on a one of the dispensaries that we've applied for the ownership transfer and got hung up a little bit with the switch in Ohio from pharmacy to commerce and everything like that. But uh, go figure, you got stuck in a government bureaucracy, but we got stuck. So we're hoping to get that cleared out pretty soon. And then we'll have two dispensaries operating fully and the cultivation and the manufacturing. And then since... Um, we also have announced that we have uh, letters of intent to acquire two additional dispensaries. So we'll be up at four in Ohio, hopefully by the end of this year and on a nice run rate. So we expect that to go good. Arizona, we're kind of like everybody else, you know, that you read the trends in that, that, you know, we're um, feeling the pain of the consumer in Arizona and seeing that the uh, total sales volumes are going down and the the store accounts going up and stuff along those lines. So the team's performing very well in uh, Arizona and a tough, challenging market. But I think other other places have that also. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll I obviously will want to jump into to the Arizona market with it being both our homes there, Eric. But um, I think um, kicking off with Ohio, just because that that is the 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 newest state right now that has uh, approved adult use um uh cannabis use but 
it's it's not fully operative yet. So can you give our listeners some background on, on where things currently stand um, regulatory-wise? Ohio 101. Yeah, Ohio, Ohio 101. <laughs> well, I'm going to try to give you the best definition I can. Is Again, it is a political system. It's a um, It was voted in where the legislature has a ability to modify, to change, to do what whatever that a legislature wants to do. So... They were working on it. They never got it done at the end of the year. So basically, Ohio has given its citizens the ability to have recreational marijuana. They just have nowhere to legally buy it. So that's where they're at. They, uh, there's that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's that, you know. So, hey, that's probably got a great thing to Joe, who's standing on the corner going, hey, I can sell you this stuff and you right. can buy it. But, you really didn't Sounds buy it prime for, for the black market. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, typical short sightedness, but I think they'll get it wrangled and fixed. Uh, the governor has been coming out actively on that going. This doesn't make any sense. We've given people the ability to buy the, to have cannabis, but they have nowhere to buy it. So what that looks like, I don't know. The legislature probably won't take it up until March time frame. They have until September for it to go into place, which was nine months. We were hoping that it would happen sooner because we think that that just encourages a black market to gather strength, right? Because now you've given me a right, but you haven't let me told me where I can go do it. And oh, by the way, we voted for this right, you know, so I'm not sure about that. And they're not making it easy to just flip the existing medical market to a to a consumer market. Um, it, it doesn't seem that way. And I think what they're doing is trying to figure out, you know, are they going to change the potency requirements? Or are they going to do this? Mm-hmm. And usually everybody has some, you know, special thing that they want to do from a, a legislative standpoint so they can do something with their constituents and all that kind of stuff versus just going, hey, here's the reality. You've got an established medical program. You've got good testing. You have all of these things. Why don't we just say, you know what, if you want to use cannabis and you're on a medical thing, we're going to do the reduced tax rate like we do on a, on a pharmacy versus mm-hmm. your over the counter product. And now you're going to pay a higher tax. You know, so I, you know, I don't know what everybody's big deal is, but, you know, that's why I do this and I don't run as a politician. There's a lot of <laughs> other reasons, but we'll stay with that one. Well, and you are double down in Ohio, right? Like, so you must see some, I I think the the way what I'm hearing is the way you're looking at it is for the long game. Yeah, I think candidly from everything I see, you know, we talk about this a lot in our, of where Vexed is because Vexed has always tried to say, we don't want to be too big from that standpoint. And, uh, you know, I've always made the statement, we want to be a company that you could buy because if you're a company that somebody wants to acquire, then it's also a company that somebody wants to be with. I've always believed that. So if you build your structure, you're looking at, you're trying to sell it because other people will want to join it because then it's a good thing. So we never wanted to go too broad or have too much of a balance sheet issue or any of those things to do. And when we looked, we thought Ohio had all of they've been able to watch the mistakes of other markets to be able to avoid them. Up to this point, they've done a pretty decent job that way. So they're going to increase their dispensary counts. They're going to go to 13, but they're going to control their supply. 
So usually what happens in these markets is, is the supply eventually runs outruns the demand, and then you have price erosion, and you have price collapse and everything like that, and that's destructive to a market. So that's a destructive to a capital investor, and it's destructive to the consumer ultimately because then the quality of the consumer starts going down and people start taking shortcuts and you see the testing standards and all of that that you see in other states and you read it in the literature. Well, that's typical in any commodity business, right? So, you know, whether it's tobacco, eggs, anything, you know, that's what happens. If you don't, if you don't protect that supply so that it can't outrun the consumer, then you eventually have erosion. Ohio looks like they've gotten it right. Now, will they continue to do that right in the legislative thing and not get some interest pushing on them? I don't know. You saw something today, or at least I did, about a lot of agriculture people on the hemp bill wanting to up the stand, the amount of THC that's allowed in hemp and everything like that. To me, that's just going to make a market extremely messy and that'll ultimately impact the consumer with product and that how the regulation works on the product and the testing and everything along those lines. That's why you notice that you don't see egg standards change or anything that's, you know, got a graded standard. And that's, you know, really the way this industry is trying to move is more towards a graded standard, you know, you know, a standard of uniformity, you know, a standard of uniformity type of thing. Um, I, I want to know a little bit also more about where you guys operationally are in Ohio. You had the two dispensary before and you mentioned that you guys are acquiring the the two others. Like where are the locations on that and how are you guys uh, like differentiating yourselves within the state as it prepares to, to open up? Well, I, I think because of the way the cultivation is with it being a tier one and there's 21 of the tier ones, which are the larger ones, the 25,000 foot, um, okay. you know, you do things that you're familiar with. So I come from, as I've told you before, manufacturing and distribution, which the key to all of those things is really logistics management and distribution. So if you think about it, this doesn't have like heavy use, you know, highway traffic or anything like that. But if I'm sending somebody from the manufacturing plant, I really want them to be in a two to two and a half hour radius so that they're back after they've made their deliveries within a normal eight hour day and a half hours, right? So if you look at Ohio and where our manufacturing plan is, that puts us in this in, in a certain corridor where we're ideal. And that's really where the dispensary locations are that we're going to acquire. And obviously we're like anybody else, we'll sell anybody. I can sell certain people more cost-effective than I can other people, but I can sell everybody in the state. And you just have to be smart about how you're gonna do it. And it's got different price differentials and stuff like that. So if I go into a geography, where there's a lot of tier ones in the wholesale market, guess what? They're going to have the advantage of distribution that I don't. They're going to have less transportation costs, less fuel costs, less labor costs, all of that. Regardless of what my growing cost is, it's tough to overcome those. So in this product line, it's easy to ship. It fits in a car and stuff along those lines, right? So it's relatively an easy shipping product. It's not a heavy product or a transportation issue in that, but you still have time. You can't beat time, regardless of the weight and which is your delivery method, you cannot structurally change time. So if it's a four hour drive to get from our plant to say up towards Toledo, it's not as inducive of a market to me. It's gonna have a higher cost. And that means I gotta, you know, I do one or two things. I sacrifice margin, which the shareholder's not gonna like, or I sacrifice quality and service, 
which that customer is not going to like. So I don't see a win for that. So that's how we look at it, Nick. And in terms of what's going on in Arizona, um, which, you know, you're into really, really, I mean, look, they're all interesting markets, right? Um, you know, you guys have been able to generate traffic growth, retail purchases um, in a really difficult, pressured market there. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, it, what makes that different from an Ohio or what you've learned in Arizona to make you a better operator in Ohio? Well, it all starts with the team. The team's really good and they're retail focused and, and they, they watch what's going on, plus the locations of the stores. I read an interesting article this week, and I can't remember where it was at, but the the genesis of the article was the why the black market exists so high in cannabis. And I've always talked about this in the past, you know, six years of doing this, uh, being in this industry, is you have to understand what that consumer demographic is so that the most of the people that are frequent cannabis users, and if you take it's 10 to 12 percent of the population or whatever, it, it they have a certain demographic and they have a certain spending pattern and stuff like that. So they're saying that the black market thrives because that consumer is trying to buy lower price transactions and faster transactional volume at lower quantities. So they're more frequent and everything like that. We've been very fortunate that that's our customer base. Our customer base is about an 85 to 90% retention where we've struggled is with the average basket, just like everybody else. So you lose out on your top line revenue, which means then you have to go for speed. So you have to be able to turn a transaction fast or the same concept that you would do if you were doing fast food versus, you know, um, you know, pick it. So if you look at like, to me, the best in this industry that turns, turns stuff fast and gives good quality and everything's like a Chick-fil-A. They usually get their drive-throughs turning fairly quick and their average basket size is a little bit above normal for a fast food industry, but their service level and quality are perceived as higher to the consumer. So they do a better job and they usually have a better revenue, right? Even in a tough market segment. That's kind of how we've approached the retail stores in Arizona saying we wanted to be happy traffic, heavy things. So we really watch we focus a lot on what's the average of the per store in the state and where does our stores hit? I won't give you the store specifics because we don't break those out, but that's what I watch. And that's what the, the general manager that runs the retail operations or the director of operations does. You know, he and I talk all the time, where do we want these stores to fit within the national average? And when you look at Arizona, I'm sure you guys have done this. It's a cluster. I mean, and not the cluster that I normally would talk about, but it's a cluster of, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Good, good to <laughs> you know differentiate. Exactly yeah, but if you look at, you know, if you take a map out the city or map out where the stores are, it's like Phoenix is a glob of them. And I mean, it's a glob. So if you put it on there, it's one big pin. It looks like one big pin until you zone out and everything like that. And they can do your zone. So if you're talking like traditional territories and wholesale management and stuff like that, or marketing, it, it's really a big conglomerate. Then you have a little bit up in Flagstaff, like three, and then in Tucson will be another dot, but it's not really that concentrated. The concentrations all in Arizona, are all in Phoenix. And then when you plot out Ohio, I get a different dispersion. And that's kind of how I look at it is what's my dispersion look at? Um, and that really is impacted the wholesale market within Arizona. And that's why you see a lot of brands coming and going 
And we've seen some, you know, failures on brands and some stuff along those lines. And I think that's what really happened in Arizona is you had this excess supply. So last year at this time, you had all these flower brands. Everybody's selling flower, 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 flower. And then they got all this excess flower. And then you see, okay, well, I can't sell all my flower because I'm going to discount it too much. And then you saw a lot of, hey, let's make extracts and concentrates because now we're going to add some value to it. So you saw a lot of extracts and concentrate brands coming on. And that's starting to transition where Arizona is now becoming more of a stabilized market. And you've seen the numbers that I've seen is where it's like the second most competitive pricing within the states and stuff along those lines. I think that'll start to catch up and you go through that maturity continuum. Now in Ohio, it's on the opposite thing. So it's doing what normal states do is they pass an adult use or recreational thing. Guess what? The medical patients start going away. So now you're stuck in Ohio that had sales going down on a per store basis, but overall staying up or going down, but on a per store, it goes down because more stores were added before the adult use consumer. So you can't get your demand up and then it's going to reverse. So it's a matter of timing. And then you want to be able to run that market and see how it's going to go. So that's the answer. And you can edit it, cut it down. But the long story <laughs> short, it's all about the people that run the store. It's not me. I didn't do anything amazing. They did. They recognize the fact that we have to be speed. The way I like to refer to it, I want this store to be speedy weedy service. If I had, if I had, if yeah, that was my tagline, but they <laughs> got it down. And I wanted a dancing um, joint that would be an animated joint that would talk about the speedy weedy window. But <laughs> that got shot down to the marketing department said, you're nuts and we're not doing it. Even though I showed them animated cartoons from when I was a kid, that that was how you got the message. Oh, that, that didn't close oh, yeah. it. <laughs> didn't close it. No, I didn't close it. I even showed them like Peter Puck from the NHL. I showed them, <laughs> I'm just a bill. Nothing went through. So I think all you TikTok generation have a problem. <laughs> well, I, I want to go back to something, Eric, because uh, you 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 mentioned uh, it's it's the people that that work for you and work with you that that really set the difference. And I got to see this firsthand when um, you invited me um, to take a tour um, just a, uh, just about a year ago. And one of the things that stuck with me since that that trip was you know, the innovation that your team's doing when it comes to the product products, you know, uh, you're talking about the evolution from flour to, um, the solventless extracts and things like that. And so I'm wondering, can you, um, tell our listeners, like, you know, what are some of the new products that you guys have been putting out under the vaping brand? And will you be seeing some of that same innovation come to Ohio as that market opens up? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we have, we've been very fortunate I have personally, let's just describe it that way. I always tell people, look, I've already had a career. This is a new career. I didn't plan on having another career. I thought I was kind of, you know, getting towards the end, but I've got a lot of people that have been in this industry and that's all they've really done. So it really works well because I'm not trying to figure out what my next career option is or, you know, what company I'm going to be in charge of next and everything like that. It's different. So I'm building a structure of a team that's there for the long run. And we have some PhDs in organic chemistry and what you're talking about, Nick, and, and, and stuff along those lines. And we develop a lot of stuff. And they've done, where's patent pending on uh, acids within the cannabinoid plant. And they've discovered other molecular structures that they've patented. And they've done a lot of that. So one of the things we've been doing is 
it's called the black diamond and you can see this now i did get some animation on that and i did win my battle on that so we do have some animation on that where it shows diamonds coming out of a lava volcano you know so the distillate's converting to diamonds and that so every now and then i do win my argument but most time they i lose but well we're gonna need that for for social promotion of this episode so, yeah, well, I mean, that you can I think, have so i think send it yeah, we'll send that over. So what, what's happening is we did like the black diamond and then we started elevating the line. So um, the director of operations who I talked about was he and his staff and that started identifying what was needed in the bud tenders and where the price points needed to be in that. The product innovation is really just a variation. So we started doing a lot with the THCA. So a lot of people had done infused products with like Keef and stuff along those lines. We just did it with diamonds. So the manufacturing process is pretty quick on the diamonds that we have. We can get a whole bunch of them. And we just took and capitalized on our patents and some of the processes that we were doing, developing with the other parties. You know, we filed this patent with ASU. So we started doing that and we we call it the black diamond. And and I don't use the product that often. And you know this, but I like it. So, I mean, well, I, the cycle it, because it's not super psychoactive, right? It's not that as much as two, but it's it's really smooth. It's got great flavor and it's got great effect. I mean, yeah. you know, pardon my language, you can be high as fuck pretty fast with it and you don't have to stand there and smoke a whole lot, which I don't really want to smoke anymore, you know? So, so I'm a reformed smoke person. So that's one of the things we did. The other thing we're doing is, is we're introducing a new brand and it's really to try to segregate what we're doing. And the, the concept of this brand is called Revive. So a lot of the stuff that the science people have been able to do is to, um, you know, the nanomulsifications and all that kind of stuff like everybody else does. And we work with flavors. So my background was I had worked for Land O'Lakes and I'd been in the food industry and in that years ago. So you start looking at flavor profiles. We still have not been able to find a food company that will sell and support us into the flavors, right? But you can modify it within certain extents and stuff like that, but this flavor profile and what you're enhancing it. But the concept of reviving is that we see like Ohio market and we see these markets is people like myself that are, can remember the days of cannabis when we were younger and we really liked the product, we liked the effect um, we like the creams because it's anti-inflammatory and, you know, hell, I got arthritis in my hand. I usually wear something on my elbow. I got, you know, I mean, it's a night, it's, it, I'm a mess. It's a nightmare okay? <laughs> and I'm not alone. So a lot of us have aches and pains and stuff like that, but we like cannabis and we always had a good time with cannabis. We want to go back, but we don't want to smoke. We want to do different right. delivery methods. And that's really what Revive is. So, you know, the concept of that is, again, I got shot down, but I'll tell you my approach to it. <laughs> And I'll tell you what the marketing team is doing, but it's like, you know, your partner and chill is what they want to do. But to me, it was more like return to cannabis on your terms. So if you have well, fundamentally a different consumer, right? Like, you know, you, when you were 20, it, you were, you know, smoking it to, to get high and have a good time. And now to your point, you know, you've got some aches and pains, um, you know, which is unusual at your young age. So, um, you know, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it helps. Um, and, but you're not necessarily looking for the high that you were and, you know, 
So and you're looking for that feeling that you used to have when you were 20s because everybody wants nostalgia, right? So you had a good time with your buddies and everything like that. But most of them go, hey, I don't want to smoke anymore. Or candidly, the stuff's very strong compared to what we used to smoke. Um, And you want a different thing. But that's the nice part about this. So we've done smaller dosing with it. And, you know, instead of like a full chocolate bar, they're individual pieces, you know. I think that's and it's such a good way to onboard new consumers. I mean, exactly. and bring people back. So like bring them back. Right. To bring them back. I mean, they were I don't know. I, I think this this tilt towards, you know, mega THC like that is such a, a, a like a limited portion of who the target market is. The growth is in the people who have aches and pains and who can't sleep um, and who maybe just want to feel good and maybe replace their glass of wine or or beer. Like that's the new consumer. And those people are looking for two to five to 10 milligrams. Well, I'm I talking think he, about myself. Yes, I am talking about myself. Exactly. It's you. But yeah. It, yeah. you also don't want to have that crowd that's not there too. But that's what's really happened is, is we want to be able to be consistently servicing both marketplaces and recognizing that different consumers have different things and you want to make sure you offer that product. And what people really want, I think, is the same thing we want on a consumer basis. They want to get get a fair price, reasonable price. They want consistency and they want quality of the product and they want it to be duplicatable. So with our science team, Nick, that you saw and all those people and the, and the team that's here, they deliver that, okay? And if you take it away from the flower aspect, you know, you don't have as much variable to it either, right? Because that thing's a living, breathing plant where this is actually taking that plant and manufacturing it into a different format, right? Uh, yeah, I want to talk more about um, the, the market in general and kind of like from the 30,000 foot view. Um, you know, there was right before... Um, the holidays, I think, you know, the DEA, um, you know, released all of the documents on the the recommendation to to change to reschedule from schedule one to schedule three. Um, you know, it was some it was stuff we already knew. We just had all the details, I guess. Um, but from a from a standpoint of someone who's operating um, in two, you know, interesting markets, what does rescheduling do for you and your business? Well, I think the obvious one that everybody's looking at is it changes the tax structure and it makes the corporate structure a little bit simpler. So if it goes to three, two. Yeah, if it goes to three, right. right. If it goes to three, which it likely would, you know, it'll change the tax structure and it'll make it a little bit different there. I think it also I don't think it opens up banking per se right away where, you know, like Bank of America comes in and says, oh, we're going to start backing cannabis and you know, Jamie Dimon, you know, says, hey, you know, I like cannabis and I'm going to bank it. You know, I don't think we get any of that. But what I do think it does is I think it opens it up a little bit. We might see more private equity dollars be able to come into the space. And if you look at cannabis being fragmented, um, I, I when I was 35, I would have said, nah, that's not a good thing because I was in a different way place. But I've been involved in consolidations and stuff like that using P.E., and it's very efficient money and it's it's usually nice capital to be able to help an industry start getting stability and then take it to the next level. That's also part of the thing we did with VEX was trying to make sure that you don't try to get overextended or get overinflated on goodwill or intangibles or something like that, because then that makes it more difficult for that to be a vehicle that's going to go forward. So we don't have like sale leasebacks and those types of things in our mm-hmm. structure 
which makes it a lot easier for that consolidation. So that's what I think happens when you get rescheduled is I think you might see something on the tax size, but you'll start to see, I don't want to call it true business people because I think there's a lot of true business people in cannabis. So I know that might sound insulting, but you'll have more people that are more from traditional things and that aren't, um, uh, are more what I call the money people. So I, I never was a money person. I, I was an accountant years and years and years and years ago, but I always liked manufacturing. I like to see a widget. I'm a believer that the only way you produce something is you grow it, you manufacture it, or you mine it. So this product has all those elements to it, but we do need those other guys that really move paper around and act really busy all day long, but they're like hedge fund type of guys and they move paper around and they don't operate anything. So Priyam will probably want you to edit that out later. <laughs> That's how I really feel. <laughs> well, that, I mean, the, the paper is money at that point and you're and you need money to scale. Um, and, you know, you need like the, you know, the, the tax issue is nothing to like shake a stick at. I mean, it's, nope. those it's those benefits are afforded to, to every other, you know, in, business operating in the U.S. and to not have that and to still succeed. You know, you know, Vext is, is a thriving company, but to still succeed despite that, um, you know, is is an interesting kind of scrappy business model, right? Like, you know, so, so, you know, I, I think that'll, that's certainly going to be the, the biggest, but, um, you know, I, I don't, I hope that, that, that some of the banks will get off the sidelines. Oh, I think they will. Equity, I think you know, I think it was just going to be smaller and I think it'll be some private equity. You know, you're not going to yeah. see Goldman get into it, but you know, you're yeah. going to see smaller tier private equity funds and that stuff get into it. And those guys are really, they're pretty good. They're good to work with and they're good to deal with. And that's, you know, really what we did at VEX, why we started building our board the way we did. You know, we brought in people onto our board that have a different skill set. I'm an operator, okay, that happens to be able to read a balance sheet and read a PL and do all that stuff. But I'm an operator. I, you know, I look at the sales numbers, I look at sales territories, I do all that stuff because that's what I'm most comfortable with. And I want it to be a real business, not a, Hey, I've pumped something up in order to get somebody else to buy it. And then I walk away. Yeah. So, you know, and I was serious when I said, you know, the best part of this job is, is that a lot of the people that I'm working with and Nick, you saw that when you were here, it's a very close group and everybody will go, oh, we're family and all that stuff. Well, most people aren't family that, you know, I'm shitty to my family at times and I'm sure all of you are too, but you know, it's the more of the point of it's got a path of, of going and it's an ongoing concern and they're young. They're not going to retire or this thing's not going to get sold. And then they still need to work. They still need to have something. So to me, it's very important to build that succession planning because that's what's going to happen when you get acquired is most companies don't have a whole group sitting around going, hey, we can run everything tomorrow. Just go away. That doesn't happen much. You know, and especially when you look at the U.S. economy, I mean, you know, look, we've had inflation. We have all these cash things and that it's the employment factor. That's still a struggle. So yeah. if you build a company and you're in a space, great asset. So if you come in and talk to my guys and ladies and that that work with this business and everything, they're very talented. They're very knowledgeable and they're continuing to learn and they're continuing to do stuff. And you put in a structure. So we've put in a structure you know, it's relative. If my board's listening, it's a lot of work. I spend a lot of time working on this, but between us, it's relatively straightforward because we put it in like we did at the Fortune 500, Fortune 100. That's what I know. So you do a transaction, and at the end, the uh, information spits out. You know, it just it works that way. 
nothing novel or anything like that, but I'm really interested in AI and we use that a lot here now too. Oh, let's talk really about cool. that. Yeah, how are yeah, you how using are you? it? Well, the marketing department and the design department that use a lot of it. We, um, we use a lot of AI. I use a lot of AI myself too. Um, because it, it allows you to do more faster. So, you know, most of the stuff we write, we'll run it through the AI tools. We're using it a lot for design and graphics and, you know, figuring out, you know, what, what way you want to structure something. So if you understand it and what it's doing, it's very quick. So, you know, what used to take you two hours to debug a, a multiple list statement in an Excel spreadsheet, you know, you can get it done in about 20 minutes now. So, it's very cool. And I see that. And I, I like that. And you see the younger people embracing that and trying to incorporate it into what they're going to do. So they get to be more creative. Nick is what really is cool with it, you know, but it doesn't take away the, the, um, the interaction or anything like that, because you still have to understand what you're doing. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how that develops in this space too. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, I don't think we've had any other cannabis companies come on and say like, oh, yeah, this is how we're using AI. I, I don't, and I, have we had anybody else like that? Like, uh, <laughs> No, I mean, a lot of it. Look, a lot of these companies, like I think innovation is really difficult because they're trying to keep the lights on, you know, and, yeah. and that takes up so much energy um, and emotional <laughs> capital, <laughs> you know, that that, you know, people don't really have the luxury of that time to to play around with it. I mean, we do, we are working with clients who are doing some interesting tech. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting, Eric, that you've, um, that you guys are using that. Oh, yeah. we, you, we, we use it pretty. It's just scratching the surface, right? Like, I mean, you, you're not Absolutely. like the, the manufacturing logistics, like all of that stuff is going to be, it's just kind of primed for that. See it. <laughs> oh yeah. That was AI generated. Nice. Super. That nice. is uncle Sam. Smoking the doobie. <laughs> so for our listeners, <laughs> there's a maybe we get a picture of that too. Yeah. Um, yeah send us that picture too. Okay. Um, so so yeah, I mean, like I I think that's really interesting, and like I said, I think we're just um, scratching the surface here on on what AI can do and how it can streamline businesses. Oh, it's cool what they're doing and how they're you know. Again, you know, Nick can come over. You're more than welcome to, too, you know, to see what they're doing in the back and how they're doing it. And, you know, they're controlling the menus and everything like that. It's pretty slick. And I guess that's probably why I lose a lot of arguments, too. <laughs> um, my vision versus reality. <laughs> um Eric, I want to jump back into to talking about like things that we'll see um, uh, happening in 2024. Um, and, you know, you were pretty early on recognizing the potential of Ohio and are capitalizing well on that. We have a, a number of states that, you know, it's election year. They're going to be voting on, on cannabis, you know, Florida, uh, Idaho, Nebraska, South Dakota, some of them. I think everybody's hope is that Pennsylvania is going to get over the line, which is right next to your guys' Ohio market. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times of not wanting to get overextended with VEX, but um, how are you guys watching, you know, the potential for new markets opening up? Are, are you just focused on Ohio and Arizona right now, or is there still keeping an eye open? Oh, we always keep an eye open. I mean, that would be negligent not to. So, you know, we think Kentucky's going to be a good market for us. We, um, we're fortunate again. We um, have our partners in Kentucky, our eighth generation farmers in that area. They have about a lot of land. They probably wouldn't want me to tell you. Uh, it's land, such but. a perfect, but isn't it such a perfect industry for that state? 
Like it it's just perfect. makes so much sense. Well, and it looks like they're probably going to put in some decent, decent guardrails on it so that you, you know, because that place could go crazy and overproduce on on that product. But it looks like they're going to do some stuff with indoor and prevent some of the outdoor so that they don't have any pollination issues and stuff like that. But we're they have land in Tennessee and in Kentucky, so we're down in that corridor down there. And we think that's going to be good, again, using our criteria that we don't want to be over two hours outside of our market, pick up some dispensaries and stuff like that. And, you know, that will become a vexed asset. And we're, we're very confident that that's a good play for us, you know, assuming you get the license and stuff along those lines. But, you know, you got a plan. I think that's a good market. Nick, I've always... Yeah, nothing against the West Coast, Dan. I'm sorry, but you know, you you got me at at a bar one time, so you got my whole philosophy. <laughs> I hate California. When I was in the steel business, I hated California. We were headquartered in California. I dreaded it. It's so tough to do business there. It's tough to do business in the East Coast, in my opinion. Florida is going to be easy to do business, but everybody wants to be there. So the cost of entry and everything, you're too late to the game. We don't have a ton of money and you're going to burn up a lot of money in the short term there. We don't want, we don't see that as an advantage. I, I don't, I don't see an advantage there. So I like Kentucky. I like Kansas. I think Kansas at some point in time will do something. I think Tennessee might at some point in time, it'll take them a little while. Indiana still looks like it's attractive, but I don't think they're got anything going and they're getting their people are going to Ohio pretty soon. They're going up to Illinois. So you'll get them anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be tough. So when you look at where you're going to put your store, I don't want to be, I want to be close to that state that doesn't have it yet because they're going to come across and you don't want to be too close to somewhere else. So I, I laugh at Missouri. Missouri was really smart, and I don't know why they did it, but they're I think they're now getting at the opposite end where their purse stores are dropping off and stuff like that, and they're probably going to have a capacity, and they're moving along the maturity continuum, and they're going a little faster, you know, than other states did, and I think it's all going to speed up. Yeah. Right, and I think it's all going to speed up, you know, so they'll get into an excess supply, declining pricing and stuff like that. It'll start to happen. But what Missouri did was their tax on adult use was significantly lower than Illinois. So any of their cust their their cities that were bleeding into Illinois, so down around St. Louis, mm-hmm. down around Cape Girardeau, and all of those state those places that were bleeding into Illinois before it went adult use, they pulled them back. Yeah. So their tax is low, and my suspicion is is they're pulling some of the people that are close to those Illinois cities that are close to Missouri are coming across. So I wouldn't be surprised if you're around St. Louis and you have a store, you've seen some bleed off into Missouri. Yep. Then I like the Midwest. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, you know, so I like flyover country, Nick. You know, so a lot of people who smoke weed in flyover country. (laughs) Well, you know, I grew up with a lot of them. So, and they (laughs) smoke weed. So they like to smoke weed, but they're also... It's it's easier to do business. You know, you don't have all the the uh, nebulous stuff associated with it. East Coast well, is tough. East Coast well, is tough. East Coast is a mess. West Coast is tough. I mean, you know, I don't know how people compete up in like Oregon and stuff like that. I mean, it's you know, it's just it's a tough market. Yeah. You know? Well, and again, I don't want to deploy a bunch of capital into a market. So we have shareholders. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And we're fortunate we have really good shareholders and we're held institutionally and a small block holds it and everything like that. And they're good people and everything like that, but they're smart and they ask a lot of good questions. And I don't like to have a question where it's like, gee, that was a good question. You know, I like to know a little bit beforehand. So if you go, if I was to call them up and say, look, I'm thinking we should go into, hey, let's go down to Florida because you probably need about 30 or 40 stores. So let's go and put a hundred million dollars on somewhere along the balance sheet. And oh, by the way, we're going to have to wait six months for a return or anything. Yeah. Why would you do that? You know, the the, the large ones like Trulieve, Air, they, they've got a nice market presence down there. They're doing a good job. They're not going, nobody's sitting in Florida going, boy, I wish Beck Science would open up a <laughs> store down here. We can't wait to get there. And I go, oh, I believe that. And I go to everybody, I'm going to come down to this market and compete. And everybody wants me to go there. And truly, even Air is going to go, you know what? Vaxed is here now. Let's throw up our hands and we don't yeah. need to do anything. No, they're going to, you're going to have a diminishing price and everything like that. Competition, you know, there is, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. That's, that's a misnomer where everybody goes, they're waiting for me. We saw that in Arizona a lot too is a lot of people go, well, they've been waiting for this brand. It's so, brand is so, it's not a thing yet. It's no, just not a thing. I don't think you see brands in this. You'll see you'll see brands if they control the retail door. I'd argue that your brand is your retail door. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, you know, and there's not the maturity of the marketplace to really understand the difference sometimes. You know, they're looking at price. They're looking at availability and price. And it has to be consolidation and some type of differential in that. Well, I think there's like three people that control the cigarette industry. Oh, and that's a good, yeah. I think it's example. three that yeah. control it and they, they consolidated and controlled, controlled the supply and squeezed out the farmers and leveraged it down and everything like that. But they have different brands within it, but they really control it. Usually on alcohol distribution, you know, what is there? Maybe... You know, and at each state, there's two or three major distributors of stuff, and they kind of control their marketplace in that. This market still has some entrepreneurial stuff in it, and some of the states have done a good job, you know, where they've prevented concentration too much. Some states have allowed all excess contribution, right, or, uh, you know, consolidation. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I don't think I'll get to see it, Nick. I, I think I'll retire before that all happens. You know, that's at least my plan, but... You know, and let the next group take it to the next level. But then again, that leaves enough meat on the bone. So if you do it and you do the consolidation, there'll be some dis destruction and everything like that. But whoever acquires your company is going to want some opportunity to be able to maximize their return. They're not going to want you to have maximized everything. So I'm a firm believer that the third time a company sells, whoever acquires it the third time, they've got a lot too much blue sky. Vex has never been acquired. And the reason I say that is I've been the poor bastard two or three times in my career that was part of the third time acquisition. And your investors are really on your ass because they've overpaid and they're pissed and they're pissed at the guy who's left behind trying to run it. They want their money. Great, great perspective. <laughs> love, love it, Eric. Um, so uh, it's been great having you on. We got one more question before you let you okay. go on, on, on this catch up. You know, we're we're still in the the end of January. I don't know exactly when this episode's gonna gonna run, but right now when we're talking to you, it's the end of January. What are you looking forward to the most going into twenty twenty four? You know, is there is there one storyline? We've we've hit on a number of different things, but but what's top of mind for you? 
Well, I think top of mind is we're the most, as far as like MSOs or public companies or something like that, I think we have the best exposure for upside for our shareholders from the state of Ohio because we're so concentrated on that, right? That I think that that's going to be an exciting story. That's a good team that's being put together out in Ohio. Um, you know, and, and we work well together. We haven't really had, since we were partners to start with, we've been together since that opened. So we didn't have any of this power stuff of, oh, you acquired us and now you know what you do. We've been working together. It's just a matter of it's now all under vexed. So I think what's going to be exciting, Nick, is, is that the mistakes that we've made, because boy, we've made them. I think we can short shorten that that curve out in, uh, out in Ohio. You know, so we've really matched our assets really well. And um, part of that's necessity because we haven't had excess capital. You know, and I think you're right, Ann. I think that really helps in the marketplace. If you had a pot full of money, you know, how many times the companies go through this pot full of money and then they, or the reality comes into set that, oh my gosh, I don't have any peep, any more money. It's like OPM, other people's money. It spends pretty well, right? Yeah, yeah. We've never had that. So we've always ran it like it's my money, you know, and I'm cheap. And you and you know this, you saw where I stayed, right? I didn't stay down in the- I wasn't going to mention it. Yeah. So, well, you can mention it. I I, I can live with being cheap. <laughs> Ram will tell you, she does my IR. I never spend any money. Let's, we prefer cost effective. Cost effective. I like it better. Yeah. I, I'm brutal. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Prudent. Prudent. Yeah, we, well, can, I don't know. You, you, we can run you, that through AI and get a whole bunch of work. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You bought me a glass of wine, so I'm I'm you're good in my book. Well, well you know, that my was, bar that is pretty was more low. Than a pleasure. So <laughs> thank you so much, Eric. We really, really appreciate your time today. Um and we love having you on. So let's make this a yearly thing, okay? Whenever you guys want. I always enjoy talking to you guys because I always learn something. You know, that's why I bought you wine. And you told me all kinds <laughs> of stuff I didn't know about what was going on. So it's nice to get oh, a perspective. That means you need a lot. To come Thank out you so and visit much. Nick so he can take you over here so you can kind of I know. It's such a quick flight. There's no reason to not. There's no it's reason not to. Yeah. Rob's never even came down yet. I have to go to Toronto to see her. And I hate wow. the cold. I hate the cold. I, it's, it, we're in Phoenix, and I got a heater on underneath my desk. Oh yeah, I got oh, the heater on right now. Toronto, <laughs> it's a it's a tough pull for me. You just got to bring more CBD cream. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Bye bye. Again, a huge thanks to Eric Offenberger, CEO of Vex Science. You can uh, follow everything that's going on with their company at vexedscience.com. That's vexed, V-E-X-T, um, as well as uh, follow them on the uh, Canadian Securities Exchange under the symbol V-E-X-T and on the uh, OTC markets under the symbol V-E-X-T-F. As always, thanks for listening to The Green Rush. If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. You can drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We love your feedback, guest ideas. We want to hear everything that you guys want us to cover in 2024. And as always, do not forget to subscribe to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. And you can subscribe to our newsletter at greenrushpodcast.com. One take, Shay. One take.
of this.